Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Cybersecurity in Cloud podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we come back with another episode on application security. We've been talking a lot about application security uh, of late, and we've been interviewing a lot of people from OWASP and expect more and more in the upcoming episode. And um, I am a little bit biased because I've been focusing more on uh, Security Phoenix, or now called Application Security Phoenix. And if you don't know the project, uh, have a look at www.upsecphoenix.com. We're focusing a lot on vulnerability management and application security. But in these episodes, we focus effectively on how to go from dev, DevOps into more security and how effectively a professional that want to move forward in his uh, development career can insert slowly but surely effectively security in in the pipeline and in, in the life cycle. And... In order to do so effectively, Martin, Martin has served in, in a lot of part of us from the Netherlands chapter uh, all the way to the board and then back and forth. And we explore a little bit what that means. But most importantly, I am really, really passionate about showing what open source and OWASP projects are out there. And today we touch a little bit on the uh, SKF, that is the Security Knowledge Framework. So I hope this uh, you, you can get all uh, some information out of this, uh, and I hope uh, this is um, informational for everybody. This is your host, Francesco. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay safe and stay upsec safe. the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we go back on the world of application security, and we have Martin, let me try to pronounce it in German, Knopfloch. Almost there. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, uh, pronounced K, it makes a difference. All right. Francesco, no thanks for having me. <laughs> Almost there. My German is so rusty, Martin. <laughs> but Martin uh, has been with OWASP for a very, very long time. Right now, is the global application strategies and micro focus. And he can talk more about the experience in OWASP. He's been with OWASP for a really, really long time, from a chapter to uh, the global board to different roles. But Martin, maybe you can talk to the audience a little bit for who doesn't know you, what you've been up to and where you're coming from in terms of WASP and yeah, a little bit of your history. Right, so let's try it to the master in five minutes, uh, I think. It's, when you get older, <laughs> it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. I haven't been busy. So actually, I have been a developer, uh, a, move, a self-trained developer. I moved to development at the end of the 90s of last century. It makes it sound longer ago than it actually is. So it's more than 20 years ago. So 
Before that, I was a mechanic and I moved to software development via PLC programming, like industrial development. Yeah, I worked at a company and in 2005, I was so surprised about the, the level of missing security in software development and then web application because back then we had a big hype. And the, the first bubble was already gone. We went into the second hype of uh, online marketing and there was no security. So I said, let's do something with security. And I encountered an OWASP who had a first application at the AppSec conference in Belgium. So it was the second conference in Europe. The first one that actually was branded as AppSec conference. And yeah, I live in the Netherlands, uh, so it was very close by for me. So I, I went there and should I say, I got hooked by always. I came home and was like, wow, because it makes a difference if you were a long-term security professional or a newcomer, a new developer. Everybody was welcome with open arms. And uh, yeah, the, the community, this uh, open, openness of the community that really caught me. That's uh, So I came back to the Netherlands. I uh, became chapter leader of the Netherlands and uh, I got involved on a global level and uh, during the summits in 2018 and 2011. Uh, 2015, I was uh, chairing the OWASP AppSec conference in Amsterdam and I told my wife, this is the last thing I will do for OWASP. I'm totally <laughs> done with it. And you know, long story smart. short, <laughs> she looked at me, smiled, and said, Yes, sure. And you know, <laughs> three years later, I was a uh, uh, member of the board of directors, I would uh, have been uh, chairman of the board of directors. Now I'm a member at large, and uh, I just got elected for another two years. So 22 one and 22, I also will be in the board. Then, well yeah. done, congratulations! <laughs> we need more of Martin, unfortunately, for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for my wife. That's only one Martin, is enough for the world. <laughs> No, but that's good. And I, I completely share your view on OWASP. And I've been, um, I actually came very late on, uh, I encountered very late on OWASP. Uh, I was more with the Cloud Security Alliance. And I was I was blown away by the amount of uh, open source and contribution and good quality of project. I mean, uh, some of the flagship projects are really, really up to enterprise level. So that they're really... And the organization is getting is getting there with politics and with emotion that we're not going to divulge and explore. No, we can address that. I think it's, it's, you never should hide it. Uh, I think, yes, everything you do with passion, you get emo uh, frustrations by it. So and people uh, can they handle frustrations better than others. Yeah. When you're a more uh, emotional person, then it's very easy that uh, your frustrations overcome your response. And that's unfortunately what people can set up uh, on the mailing list. Uh, when we see ours, it's only by head, not even seven staff members worldwide. The rest is all volunteering. So it's an advantage, it's the flexibility, it's the passion, it's the involvement. On the other side, we have to become also more regulated. And regulated, people always think that regulated is limiting. But I see regulation as enabling. Mm -hmm. I, I, my analogy yeah, my I use, it's, it's like when you do a sport or like play soccer for whatever sport you do, you have rules. The rules are not there to stop the game, but to enable the game, that everybody knows what to expect from each other. And I think there we have a, a, a long way to go with OWASP and also professionalizing for the people who are trusting OWASP mm -hmm. because we have the consistency over the project, alignment over the project. That's, there's a lot to do. And when you compare it, for example, with SCAS or the IFS, all these other organizations where you have a heavy contribution so if you have more time and money to do stuff and here it's all volunteers so it's still as a 
we talked about it before, whenever I go somewhere and meet other people from our world or I meet the community or people I talk about our world, people say thank you. That, that's a rewarding part. Yes. Yeah. But it is emotional and it's a big organization. I mean, it, it, it's a good part that it's emotional because it means that people are passionate about it. And sometimes discussion gets a little bit too involved in personal legions and, uh, you know, but that's normal. That's normal about uh, like. I don't know. Does it still exist? In the, I remember when Gmail came up and Google had this uh, don't send the mail in directly button. So when you on Saturday night, when you had a beer and you were like emotional and you wrote this email, you send it, but it was not really sent. So you had a time to think about it. Something that I learned from uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, that she always does this courtesy. You know why she's doing it? It gives her some two seconds to think first. Yeah. And I think this is all we should do, like in your brain to the currency. And, uh, like, yes, that's a good question. No, that's raising the comment before you answer. Yeah. And definitely when you have a, a global uh, community, the, the, the global aspect of communication is so different. For example, yeah, I, I'm in Northern Europe, I'm German, and I'm South German, so we are really short on words and very direct. And then I'm in the Netherlands, there were people also very direct. So when they get to speak to, to Americans, when I'm complimenting, for them it's like almost rude. And yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 a global organization. You need to have tact, but you also need to recognize that our volunteers spend their time and their free time. So, I think I, I like I like I like the drama here and there. <laughs> I think it makes it more interesting. But I, I see I why with you the fact that rules and structure is actually good for all us because. Being an open source project and being and having a lot of open source community contribution, it can go like haywire very, very quickly. Uh, you can have 400 projects that do exactly the same thing and having low quality instead of having maybe one or two that are flagship project and for who listen, the flagship project are effectively the one that are in the in the front phase of OWASP, but has more contribution and more review and more rigor, uh, I think, to it. And I think that's a good that, thing. Yeah, that's uh, what I was about, so the, the projects and uh, uh, even those level. And you have those people who are more like, what can I do and waiting for answers? And those who, oh, there's nothing uh, specified, so they're just doing. And you mm -hmm. need both type of people. But when you have rules of guidance, they help you to understand what you can do. So when we, you see, every time we, we come up with policies, be like, oh, don't limit us. And they say, no, the policy is allowing more than you do currently, but it's just the feeling of being there's a, there's a guardrail. It's enabling. So yeah. No, I agree. It's 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 polishing and is is effectively taking, as you say, the curtsy. So taking that two seconds to think about really the quality that you want to deliver, rather than just delivering the evening, the evening. That is a little bit my my beef with DevSecOps or DevOps. Sometimes it's seen as we twist the velocity and the rapidity of delivering into production in dropping the quality. That has been always Most my big for DevOps. I had even talked about it, the DevOps Wild West. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, of course, sometimes happens. I really look how long it exists already, and I'm really happy that it's more maturing, but still you see that uh, people come in and are, you see the average development uh, developers age is in the 2030s, so they don't think about 15 years back and the DevOps of Agile is that all. So why do we do stuff? 
what does it mean? So when you know what to, why you do something, you do it better because you know the expectations and understand the uh, complications. Right. Unfortunately, sometimes it's saying like, oh, it's uh, put all push left. Uh, we are uh, in charge. So of the make it simple, reasons. for example, yeah, it, it's not a wild west. Uh, you are not on high school anymore. It's you get paid for them. That's what you're doing. It's hey, welcome to the real world. No, it's enterprise level quality. It's not a high school project. You you try to get a good score and then throw it away. Software is something that sticks out there for years, and people don't realize that. Yeah, writing software for enterprise, you need craftsmanship, and it's not wild west. And you need boundaries. I agree. I, I see, com- as company, look at the. Bigger companies, the technologies that you can say, oh, we all do Java or Ruby or Go, whatever language it is. It's not like that because then you buy the next company and they have another uh, stack, exactly. and the next company another stack. And now we have uh, the cloud. So it, it's not like this is the one world. No, there are several parallel universes in DevOps. Yeah. And even and even in startup, I mean, the, the counter argument is uh, okay. Uh, there is enterprise that is big, massive, slow, a lot of rules, a lot of red tape, and then there is a startup where it's wild west because uh, delivery is king, right? Uh, instead of quality, instead of well, there is the quality assurance, but delivery and going to market is actually the biggest risk. So going fast, but even in that case, you actually develop things in different stack, and they 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 remain because you. You cannot develop a technology depth that is even more monstrous than enterprise. Yeah, it, it, it's not a new discussion. If I look back, I was a job developer, as I said, uh, 90s, uh, early 2000s, and Java was known to be over architecture. You know, the smart labor of future mm. stability. And Microsoft did just build those uh, drag and drop throwaway applications. And there's no right or wrong. It's depending on what are you building. Correct. So sometimes it was frustrating because Java could not build, Java people could not build easy throwaway applications just there and quick and dirty. And sometimes uh, people I know from the Microsoft world, they couldn't write enterprise applications because they didn't know what happens under the hood. So Microsoft developed and evolved, and same for uh, Java people. But you see all these new stacks. I always say it's good to have young people with new technologies. That, that's how we conquer the world as humans. That's people, the young people. too many. So I, I well from the front end we had we had so many languages. I mean right now we have React and Angular and from the back end we didn't have that much revolution. I mean Go has been the biggest one of the latest. But then if you look at it from a security perspective, it takes us ages to fix Java stuff, and we even haven't started on the other stack. So I think that yeah. was the conclusion of one of the black hat. I think it was one in the Netherlands as well that uh, we, as a security professional, we're always going to be on the back foot and we can always firefight, but we're going to discover new things only very later on. Yeah, as you see, development in, the, yeah, in development processes and methodology is so the same as the security is leaking behind. So when you look at the additional security people where they come from, in the, end, the beginning, the CISOs were like process people. They come from process, not from security. Mm-hmm. The CISOs in the past, they were like, oh, we have need checklists, a pre-flight uh, uh, lists, everything. And that worked to waterfall. But when we went away from waterfall, but it's not as bad as people think, then you have to adapt to the new technologies yeah. to a certain level, but not to wild west level. But what you say is you cannot support everybody. And actually, I think that's right what you said. Uh, the quality is, uh, is important. And we, as I said, no. we need... We need craftsmen, and a craftsman needs the right tools. And the right time. Pull, 
yes. And that's where, that's where my argument on uh, DevOps saying, just don't go and develop and throw codes. Uh, just think about the application because if you do a right threat modeling, if you do a little bit of design, not over design, not waterfall designing, but if you do a little bit of quality, then you can go as fast as you can because you're not breaking the architecture of the application. You can go super fast. You know what they say, it's like uh, hours of uh, coding can save, um, uh, weeks of coding can save hours of the planning. Yes, uh, and it's, it's what we did in the past with test-driven development. When you write a test, you think about functionally what it must be doing. Then, so the code is smaller, code based and what it code. But it's annoying. It's annoying because it means sitting down and thinking about the application, what it should do, what input and output it should. It's boring stuff. So yeah, coding I, and I always, code. Yeah, but it, it's a puzzle. And when I was in development, I, I, for me, the designing of software. The, Think about how it was the best way to implement it. That was where I get money for. But generally, we always refer to the to Kür und Fließt. Uh, we open ice skating. You have the part, they have the mandatory things they have to do, and you have the free willing. So like sportsmen say, they are paid for the training, but they're, they're, the game they do when they play it for free. And the same for coding. When you think about it, so for me, also the fun part. And when you look at every graph, man, you don't just cut a tree and, and do without any planning, build a, a closet or a bed or whatever furniture. No, you think about what will it be? It's when you buy a, build a house and the same level. Otherwise it falls down. <laughs> yes. So we, we claim kind of the, the physical world structure titles, but we forget about the corruption. If you look, if somebody built a, 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 I call it a bricklayer, they have to learn their job. They have three years of education and then they go into the real world and they are apprentices first. And then when they have several years of being um, uh, 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 working, then they can become a master. And it can be kind of the consultancy company kind of killed it for software development because you come from high school, you're a junior. And within a half year, we have to make a media because I need my money mm -hmm. to ask for you. And after three years, you're a senior. So like you're a 27 year old senior developer. Like, what? <laughs> three years, so you have maybe done two projects or three short projects, so but you never ever had experienced the consequence of your design decisions. Yeah. When you have suffered from your Technology own decisions depth. and solved that, then you know what it means to be senior. The pain, the pain of actually retrofitting something or changing a whole framework or changing or, or effectively paying off your technology debt with the bad decision that. It, the rapid decision that you make. And those are lessons. It's like, like a kid when he puts his hand on, on the stove and he gets burns, he's going to remember it for life. If you don't and you keep on listening to your parents, you're never going to have that immediate reaction, right? Yes, that's what we security try to do. We tell them, oh, don't do that because it's dangerous. And they're like, so so we try to fix it with our backlogation firewalls or all the other silver bullets that never work. And that's what I say. So now with DevOps and um, DevOps or DevOps, the push left, the more and more responsibility goes to the developer. So there's more pressure on the developer's shoulders with the responsibilities. We have to give them the abilities to justify those responsibilities. Of course, push left doesn't stop at the developer. If you push further left with that one to designers and uh, architects. But then for the developer, I think those security tools between quotes, uh, and I always like that Gary Gore said, uh, Better meter because they only say how bad it is and never say how good it is. And yes, I work for a vendor now, but still, I think that not security tools, they are developer tools because they are there for the developer to see early stage the code quality. 
I agree. But then, uh, as you well know, uh, as soon as you run one of those at the very beginning, like if you run a code scanning at the very beginning of a project or uh, sorry, at, at a specific stage in an enterprise, you're going to find tons and tons of, of vulnerability. And the usual reaction is, oh, they're too many. They're too scary. It's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> 200,000 findings. Stop production next two years. No, that's, that's natural. No, if yeah. you never, if you if you go to the mechanic and you never gone to the mechanic and you never check your car and all of a sudden you say, well, you have 400 defects. It's like, no, I, I'm just gonna ignore it. I'm just gonna drive out and hopefully yeah, oh, everything's gonna one go. Line, seven, go over, so, so eventually, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also how how do we, we have to be mature in this. And of course, you cannot fix all those findings. But what you want is a what you said. When you have a new project, you start, you will have findings already because there's all the dependencies. Definitely now with the software composi uh, composition analysis, all this insecure dependencies you put in your code before you write one line of code. That's the whole libraries, a framework, and so on and so forth. And then you yeah, so that's the first thing that you get now better tests and actually you can verify is this uh, vulnerability actually causing problems? How I use it. That's the next thing. So, and then. What I said, what you said, when you're a project there already, you want the first static code analysis, and you get hundreds of thousands of findings. You don't have to boil the sea. This is actually how the world is. And the goal, it's, it's, I always uh, have like the analogy of high jumping because that's something I never will achieve. I have a, a graffiti challenge to do high jumping. Yeah, we were it's discussing not my this. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what you do is you put a bar, look where you are. And not on the high uh, world record. So when you do the first scan, it's just to determine where is your bar. And that's something you don't stop developing. And this year, like the, the critical and the most problematic. And don't go and fix the symptoms. It's like when you have a chicken box, you don't fix everything with the, the, the stuff you put on the, on, on the, uh, yeah, the symptoms to come out of your skin. But you look at the cure of the hole. So maybe, hey, I have a lot of SQL injection problems. Maybe we should have a rapid glass, like an ORM tool that has been produced. So don't try to fix the symptoms, try to fix the category, the, the category of problems. So on security category, look at, if you have an XS problems, hey, output handling is a problem. So what can you do there? Output encoding. That's something you can then very easily improve and make better. And of course, in that thing, what I said that uh, developers, they should use a tool and the security team should evolve to mentoring because when you wait for security time, it's always outnumbered. They're always busy because they're hopefully they're really good continuous developers. So give the tool developers and monitor mentoring them and monitoring them if they use it, how to use it. Yeah. Then they will with their friends because then you come together with them to solutions that not fixing 100,000 XS, but implementing one solution for all the XS problems. Yes. Yeah, start solving the category of problem. But um, as, as we rightfully said, uh, you, you need to start focusing on the category. But what would be your suggestion to any DevSecOps uh, or, or security person that want to start this journey to actually let them give this message of take a step back? Uh, I, I usually have a saying. I say, uh, don't get used by the tool, but use the tool as a tool. Definitely. So, yeah. Don't 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 hit your hell, uh, yourself with a hammer. Just use the hammer as a hammer and recognize it as a hammer. And that if you hammer it in the right way, then you get the right result. 
You see, at these days, we, we see a lot of new tools and they claim, yeah, look, we, have not, we don't find everything, but we find it fast and we can do it very early. And of course, they're open source tools. I'm really, I, I, I live always and I'm really a uh, big fan of our scope, uh, open source tooling and free tooling and SAP. Yes, you need them and having quick results, it's important. But is that something you trust your enterprise on? Mm-hmm. And that's a difference. So if you really want to know if everything is found that can be found, then you have to invest more time. So yes, those free tools or cheap tools, quick tools, use them what you want. But then... Better than nothing. Asynchronous offline run also the, the professional tools because they have to support, as you said, all the different languages. To see the most tools are really quick, but it's only supposed like the high, uh, the, 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 the hip languages are only a, a part different version. So the, the enterprise tools, they have like 20, 30 languages they support in different versions. That makes a big difference. That's why they're not for free. So they have to... And researchers that, that sits behind and actually do the legwork and reduce the false positive because that's, that's the other big headache that as soon as you get a report and you start going through a report of 300 pages and you see that maybe the initial four or five, maybe SQL injection, you haven't even implemented in the database. And as a developer, you get frustrated <laughs> and you say, yeah, that's crap. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's one thing. So there's also the whole the data flow, the yes. in-depth uh, inspection of the code. But all you do that is not to have 100% of security gone. No, actually what you free is the resource of your security professionals. Correct. Because they don't have to find run those tools and find those. Manually. Everything, yeah, and, and report manually everything that you have, could have found very early with a tool. So they can actually focus on that, what you cannot find by the tool. That's the functional, the multi-stage uh, security things. There over different applications, process flow uh, vulnerabilities. Yeah. Therefore, you have the human need and human brain, but those brains power goes wasted for still since the 70s, we have uh, SQLI. This should be solved in the language. That shouldn't be possible anymore. True, but we also have a lot of historic language that are old. And that was actually the argument of, okay, yeah, we can solve vulnerability by using a modern framework or a lot of modern framework have actually solved the vulnerability by default, by by inserting the control in the language. But we're also going to carry a lot of legacy stuff. So we always going to have... Yeah, it's not only legacy stuff. Look at Cobalt, actually, it's very built, very stable, secure for what it's built to. Yeah, you can love it, but still it runs and look at this, how much many of the source code we have currently would be able to run still 20 years later. True. So that, that's something that's so complicated as well, but then it's less now, but we had this time with the uh, web services and then we built a Java web service in front of a COBOL application. Guess what? Or the web application, the web service didn't do input validation, and the COBOL had no idea what to expect and got all this garbage. This shit garbage. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, COBOL doesn't work. I said, no, it's your web service that didn't do uh, sanity check. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's dependency and, and the complexity that you keep on building because, as you right will say, in an enterprise, you start putting this uh, Frankenstein of pieces of code to different tech stack. And then all of a sudden you look at it from a threat modeling perspective, and you, just, you, you run away screaming. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, I had a good talk with somebody who was threat modeling. He has a, when he's not the first onboarding with the team, he has a, the team there. And he always asked the youngest team member, not in age, but youngest who joined the team, explain the IFIX to me. 
Because if he cannot explain the architecture, it has not been actually very clearly and simply explained to him. So we have a big problem there. So not even start with threat money, but just think about the process. What does, the what does your application actually do and input and output and what it's supposed to do? Yeah. No, I agree. And that's why I have a little bit of a beef with the speed of development and the speed of code development. That is, it's kind of crippling a little bit of security, but it's, I mean, I have two perspectives because I always think, well, we are employed by a business that needs to make money, hence you need to develop things fast. And if all the competition is developing things fast, everybody's going to be forced to go faster. And that's why actually going full circle, I'm, I'm all in favor for regulation because regulation are is the only thing that from an industry perspective can say, this is actually the quality, the level of quality that you have to deliver, or these are the kind of rule that you need to inspect and the business is only going to suck it up and accept it. So that's, I think we need to do more around code quality uh, as an industry perspective. It's a very important point when you said develop agile that every code you release is production ready code. That means quality and you need quality checks and quality insurance. Yeah. But That's how do you enforce in an organization? It's always I don't I don't know one developer that wanna they wanna release bad codes, but I know that organization wanna speed up the cut corner and go fast. Yeah, I think it's something that actually the security industry kind of created in the past. So in the past we had a security stake. I mean, the developer, I had it many times when I came to a, a company and did security, whatever service I did in the past. The first thing like back like, oh, you do security. It was like, no. Hey, what now? You're the security guy. I said, yes. But your team works for six months on the code. What do you expect I can do in a week? <laughs> it's like, I'm here to actually enable you to increase the quality of your code because you know the code. So together, I will be the lever, the bar, to enable you to do what you didn't got the time before in the past. So you have a different approach. And people are like, hey, wait a minute. He's not bashing us because in the past, they came there, did in a, some different room, externalized it as security black magic, and out came a PDF report. <laughs> like what? And still we do that. Yeah, and then, you have to and then right. the, the PDF report became an iron stick and the developer could hit with it. So the next time a security report comes, they, they always feel the itch, they feel the pain from the last time they got hit. What do you expect them to do, how to react? And so in the past, we security was always, yes, it's complex, expensive, and every single project manager is not wanting this project because he steals on time money. It's nothing that's complex, nothing that's expensive. So try to leave security out. If that's something really, really, then you're lost. If you need to understand them, that security is just another quality aspect. And I, in the past, I was one of those who said, no, it is not, but I have grown older and I realized, yet it is. And also what I realized- It's called growing wiser. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's a gray yes, maybe it's a more salt and pepper now. So, and it, it, it means that help them. And I heard people like, oh, I don't need much security because we only write this code or this functionality. It's like, no, there is a way how you write code. And there's only a, one good way how you write code. And it doesn't matter if it's a banking application or it's an open source, but I know, static website for your community around the corner. There is a way how we address databases. There's a way how we do uh, output handling. So that's the quality. And when we have this quality level high, yeah, appreciate people because people who appreciate always deliver better quality. 
agree. No matter what work it is, and then we can raise the bar together. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor, and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. No, I agree. And But how do we force... I mean, you mentioned something around AppSec and around security as an industry. Not everybody comes to develop from a developer background. Actually, it's very rare uh, to have somebody from a security coming from a developer background. And traditionally, uh, people comes in the security field from infrastructure or risk management. So they don't have that perception of what AppSec actually means. So how do we solve that? How do we enable pe- more people to actually talk slightly codes, but coaching, really? But you, we just, really? And the question, yeah, I just did a podcast this morning with a Tanya Schenker on Shaped Purple. She had a, a good one, like, what do you need to be a, a good abstract guy? And the question is, yes, you need all types, but you need the people who be, are able to hack the researchers. But those, those maybe not the people you want to have to talk to your customers, the developers. And the same thing <laughs> in the business. When, you, when you're a business guy, whatever business you are, you have those people who are really good technical, but don't let them talk to, the to our customers because they cannot talk. So you need people who also are good in communicating. Maybe they're not the best pen testers, but they're really good in communicating what the impact is for developers and how to mm-hmm. solve it. So human yeah, factor skill is very important. The ability to read code, understand the, uh, the pain. I had pen tests in my first uh, Excel pen test report one time said, oh, there's no security uh, taking care of all uh, considerations in this application, total rebuild required. I think. Are you kidding me? Like what? When I look What's the business board, impact of that? Yeah, it's like you you know it's a .NET application. You know there is something very easy to solve SQL injection. So the whole, if I have one full FTA on it, it's like fifty hours to solve all the security problems you mentioned. There are hundreds of development hours in functionality. You say like throw it away, rebuild. Yeah, it's like your kid is ugly. Can we have an open discussion now? No, that doesn't work. Please. That's still what happened. I agree. And it's the perception of things. It's like, what do you want to achieve? You want to achieve to, to have uh, the whole development department as enemy, or you want to have a lie <laughs> that then start implementing. So I always say, even if you implement one security vulnerability fix per week, you're a winner. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you slap a, a development team with a bad report and they say, well, I'm going to ignore it unless you start shouting at me, that means vulnerability open for months and months and months. If you implement one vulnerability a week, that's four vulnerability a month. That's a good pace. And I, I always have this like two-sided, two-sided metal. It's like I, I had a presentation. I, I said, yes, I am caring and I like teaching and explaining. So I'm kind of gondoled the gray. And I, will, <laughs> I will be the nice security wizard explaining you. Martin the gray. I get it grayer. 
But you also remember maybe in the Lost Rings when uh, Bilbo doesn't want to show him the ring and Gandalf gets all dark and big. And I have this in my presentation, like, but if you're resistant to learning and listening, I can be this, you shall not pass Gandalf <laughs> if I have to. But that's the last resort. That should be the last resort. Yes. That should be the last ending. Then that shouldn't be the standard approach. And I and I really like and I really like about the modern application security people that are more we are stressed about uh, soft skill and communication and really landing the message about what is important rather than uh, you doing something wrong. Yeah, we, we know that we have this DevOps CICD fast train, and then we have the toll gates that breaking for months or weeks that, that, that doesn't align with the one with the other. Mm. And then we have the security champions. And I have seen many times that the security champions became the one guy who wants to scan and has to fix everything. Then you also lost because then nobody wants to be security champion. No. <laughs> he's a developer. He wants to either do security or development. So when I have a developer and he's interested in security, then you'll have won so much, but don't make him security champion by default or don't make him security mm. guy because then have a peer who understands security in your team who actually talks to them is so much more valuable than a security guy who doesn't understand how Shall to we go. rename them as security buddies? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's going to fly well uh, in the boards communicating, well, I'm going to start a security buddy program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about security buddies, yeah, I think that really work because the, the security people has to become security buddies, and everybody is kind of security champion because they have to understand the quality of your code. And what you said, you only make them understand what it is. If I tell them, that's a scale check, but they haven't never heard about it, of tap napping, of whatever, they don't understand what it is. So they were like, oh, yes, right, and turn around and walk away. That's like <laughs> the hackers in the 70s, they come to the the board with the command book saying, look, I pwned your mail server. But looked at that, oh, actually so not desperate. I see no pie charts. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Pass his shoulder and walk back, walk away. It's like, Ooh. No, no, I agree. It needs to be, it, the language needs to be in there and you need to understand what the problem is and get into the trenches with the developer uh, explaining what the problem is and how to solve it. It's like input validation. Exactly. If you keep on slapping developer with input validation, output validation, they will say, so what? If you explain, well, just pass this ring or put a blocker on this, you know, uh, input yeah. or, or, or form. Yeah, have a have a wrapper, have a functionality to solve it and not try to solve it in every code. Or that, and, or that. Or have a standard yeah. library. And OWASP, by the way, has a lot of libraries. <laughs> I kind of hesitating but when I should brag about a project that we, yeah, you know, the most flagship you know, but maybe that most people don't know, and maybe next one for It's a catch-22, though. It's a catch-22, because if you have a library that's going to be used by everybody, there is a high chance that people will target that library rather than 400 organizations. Oh, yeah. We know that there's compiler supply chain cleanliness and uh, attacks that we have to be aware of. But I uh, also want to uh, break apart one project I really found of. It's actually from the friend of mine in the Netherlands, uh, the brothers Tim Carter, Tim Carter and Glenn. This is actually telling you, that helps the HVS, like what you do in a security day. And then they have this labs where you have not this one big web code application where you can find everything, but it's like very small Docker images with, uh, hey, you have a file upload. There's a knowledge bit item, what you have to think about, what's the mm -hmm. problem, and guess what? Here's a lab you can experience yourself with, of course, solution. What could happen if you do it wrong? 
so they can see they learn what it is, what the implications are. They can smell it, feel it, taste it themselves. That's very important. Yeah. And get burned <laughs> on it, passively. Yeah. So yeah, just, this, a, just a fingertip, not the whole hand. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a no big production. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the project name again? SKF Security Knowledge Framework. Or SKF. Oh, yeah, SF. Okay, Security Knowledge that's Framework really for everybody. And I'll put the, the link in the show notes so that everybody yeah. can can check it out. But of course, I have to also break about my company. And you see what you have. It's, it's interesting is to find the noise. You said false positive, but it's also the overall noise you have to reduce. That's something we work on and everybody at Competitors is working on, to reduce noise. Noise is not only the false positive, but also having uh, uh, validate all the same findings 100 times. So there's also, uh, now everybody works on a more logic, like, hey, if that kind of finding I found the last 500 times I said this is a false positive or not relevant. Stop putting it. 501st time maybe. Yeah, just maybe this 501st time again it's not. So that's how you reduce the noise. You become error blind. Yeah. And how to reduce noise for them to focus on the really important stuff. That's very important. And the same is for training. But that's a systemic problem. Uh, that's a systemic problem. We're we always going to have false positives. So it just... I think we can't reduce the false positive unless you test the code in live. So it's, it's the contextual things and is putting different findings all together and having that contextual view and taking the findings as findings. It's like the suggestion, the nuggets, they're not exactly they're not a, a book of law. And a report is a suggestion that this is probably something you should look at instead of this is bad, you've yeah, done it, bad. Yeah, we found something, look at it, it's a finding, it's not... Oh, that's wrong. So the vulnerabilities. No, it's issues. And the issue means that you look at it and then you will define either it's relevant or not relevant. You have to fix it or create it. I like that. Yeah. And and the same is also for training. Like you know, compliance. Compliance has to find the guardrails and we have to also optimize. And we have the compliance annual security training. I mean those trainings, yes, they're nice, but they are boring. And pointless. And things you did. I had we asked to do a, a Java training once for a, a company. And I, you know that you kind of can tell that somebody comes from a developer perspective. So I'm there and the, the audience come in, like 25 people. I'm like, oh, those three, that can be Java people because they are, you know, they have sandals and so, uh, wooden socks. And the others, oh, they have a checked shirt. They may be Cobalt developers. And, hey, wait a minute, this must be a demon. You can tell people after a while. And indeed, I'm trying to find people only three or four were Java developers. And I have this G2E uh, secure development and defense design course. It's totally based, but for people that advantage is that when you're older, you're uh, widely interested. So I can tell them on those examples I had, this is relevant for you, or this we are not uh, relevant for Java, but it might be for the other guys, it's relevant. But what it is about is whatever you learn, and you don't feel what you said, you don't know what it, really what it means in a context that's not relevant for you now, you will forget. Because yeah. it's like when you have a car license and you have your driving license, your fresh driving license, everybody knows how it is. And I know in Germany back then, when I got my driving license, the same day I got my car and the same day I was driving. And I haven't stopped driving almost ever since. But <laughs> other people, they get a driving license, they move to a big city, they don't do the car, they never drive. So after half a year, because you never had the experience and the feeling for it, you forget. When you get in the car, it's all new again. The same with security training, because 
you heard about oh yeah there was something with sql i something 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 and uh, yes so training at the sport hey that's a vulnerability category in my source code how can i what does this category mean to me how can i solve it that's important and and that's why that's why I like the, the the framework that you were talking about the security development framework that uh knowledge framework that's um because it's, it's, it's spot on, it's, it's on a specific vulnerability and it's putting the training in front of the developer when they need it, when they find the vulnerability. And I think that's, that's the key. Instead of just saying, well, this month you're gonna all train about security and tomorrow you're gonna all forget about security because you're not gonna see vulnerability for another three months. Yeah, and then is some DB2 developer who heard about cross scripting. It's like, I don't care, I do the database. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. backend, so why do I care? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's quite a funny story. Once, uh, many years back, when I uh, was a company and I, I found people for my security task force, and I talked to a cobalt guy, and he said, Oh, I don't need security because we don't process customer data. I was like, What do you mean you don't process customer data? It's like, No, all data from the database, we take it from the database, we process the right to the database. I said, Oh, how does the data get into the database? He was like, Oh, that's those Microsoft people. I think, oh, you trust them? And he was silenced. And the, <laughs> you hear the coin drop, and it's like, oh, yes, everybody <laughs> works with uh, customer data. It's, oh, you never can trust data. <laughs> I love that story. But anyway, it's, uh, we, we, we ride on time, and it has been a pleasure. But I want to leave everybody. So we have a tradition that we leave everybody with a very positive message on cybersecurity or anything that you want in this particular period. Um, that's the kind of tradition that we have. We talked a lot about the positive stuff, also negative. But if there is one message that you want to leave our audience with, which one will it be, Martin? Yeah, that's something I learned over the years. It's like the world will exist tomorrow, too. It, it all seems to be worse than it really is. So breathe in, breathe out, stay alive and get there. And do the curtsy so you can think for two seconds more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure. And for everybody that was listening, please check out OWASP, the fantastic project that they do. And uh, you can uh, see the show notes and uh, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes. Follow us on Twitter and on LinkedIn and so on. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Martin. And for everybody, thank you for listening in. This is Francesco, your host. Thank you for having me, Francesco. Thank you, Martin. Looking forward to see you in real life again. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, one of the AppSec conference. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. <laughs>